O Savior Christ, who dost lead to immortal blessedness those who commit themselves to thee, grant, we pray, that we who are weak presume not to trust in ourselves, but always have thee before our eyes, always follow thee our guide, always look to love thee who loves us, that you who knows the way may lead us to our heavenly desires. To you, O Jesus Christ, with the Father and the Holy Ghost, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, this is a fascinating time in the church. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. She was looking for the kids. It's just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Fascinating time in the church. Um, I think it's just, it's always interesting, you know, when we come to times like this, the kind of, of reactions are kind of where people are. I will say one of the interesting things about this capital campaign has been how peaceful and um, how peaceful people have been at the same time they've worked very hard. You know, there's always a few people who try to leverage money into something else and write a letter and say, you know, I'm not going to give because of this or that. But, I, you know, that's very, been very few. What's, what's been really interesting is um, how hard a larger and larger group of people have, have worked. And I just want to observe something in this. Um, <clears throat> there, are different, there are different things that happen to you when you, when you become a Christian. Uh, you know, there's the basic stuff of, of, of being saved, and that's, that's just great gift. And uh, for many people who don't, especially who don't grow up in the church, that's a life-changing moment. But uh, too often in the church, and now I am aware of what I'm going to say already, I'm going to begin to step on little toes, but I'm going to go ahead and do that anyway. Um, too often, that's where it lies, sometimes for people's entire lives, I mean, I'm saved, and, you know, what's next? Not in the church life, of course, but in my own life. As if being saved or being in resurrected or being in the new Eden doesn't have anything to do uh, with everything else that lies before you. If there's been anything I've tried to say to you for 10 years, it's that everything is connected, and there's being forgiven and living forgiven. Now, one of the interesting things about that is, is that... Um, It forces us to move things off an intellectual plane. And so there is the initial, you're forgiven, and then there is beyond that, uh, let's read the text. But you remember that the devils read the text and tremble. You remember that in James? You know, the demons know Christ and tremble. So there is always in the scriptures the connection of knowing and doing. And I think, you know, if we read some of these texts that we've been looking at in Ephesians 1, uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. We're just going to just look at a couple of these texts. I think if we looked at these texts, um, the great news about St. John is, you know, one is you're here looking at a text. That's one thing. Um, but the next thing is, is there's, there's been a, a very pleasing sense of, of folks who have seen that beyond the initial salvation, and beyond the initial intellectual understanding, there is the living, the merciful life that Jesus asks us to lead. And there are, one of the good things about the capital campaign has been uh, when people have a very specific set of things to do toward a very specific goal, all within the gospel, it really sharpens them up and it forces, it forces maturity 
or it provides the opportunity for maturity to grow. So you kind of listen in Ephesians 1, um, you know, 21, 22, 23. You know, it's, it's all about Jesus, and then uh, there he is, Christ, verse 21, far above rule and authority and power, dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Woo, all that power, all that authority, all that goodness. And he has put all things under his feet and he's made him head over all things for the church. This is great, we're in the right place. Which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all and all. Which means if that's true, that you're really the body of Christ, you then are attached to and engaged in all that Christ does. You actually are the embodiment of Jesus Christ here on earth. Okay, now the thing is, is you can sort of understand that. You can understand it by metaphor. You can kind of parse it out. But the reality of doing that, I think, is something that is largely lost on the church. And that's why we started way back when with the very first question of, if Jesus walked in here today, would he, would he, would he recognize us as his own? When Jesus looks in the mirror, does he see you and me? It's just very, it's just, I'm just curious, you know. Let's flip, uh, turn over a page probably to chapter 4. Just turn over to chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. Okay, and now just move down. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So first Christ, then the preaching of Christ and the understanding of Christ and the critical uh, consideration of Christ intellectually, doctrinally. Rather, speaking the truth in love, ooh, words of witness, suddenly it got very practical very quickly. We are to grow up in every way as a community, as his body, you know, the way a child grows up into adulthood, into him, live within your resurrection, within Easter, within the body of Christ, within the church, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, when it works, you know, when your job is right, when your car runs, when your spouse loves you, when your kids obey, when it's working properly, makes bodily growth and it builds itself in love. Boom. All right? Now, the thing is, is, and we're just, you know, we're getting toward the end of this. We're going to do this this week and next week, and then we're going to be closed out for feast days and uh, voters' meetings, which is, you know, okay. But I'm just sort of putting my last push in for you that you would take the third part of this extraordinary, extraordinarily seriously. Not just the, I've been saved, and not just the intellectual notion of I'm the body of Christ, but really to be able to see in your own life what it means to be the body of Christ. And as soon as I say that, then let me say this. This has been part of the raw pleasure of the capital campaign. You know, in, you know, there are times when you can get 20 people to work on something, and then there's times when you get 40 people to work on something. And then, you know, last time through, we got a couple hundred people, but it was, it was, it was much more stressful, and there was, it was much more edgy, and it was much more uncomfortable. And now suddenly we come to this one, which is a much bigger deal. 
And we've got all these people who are, I can tell you, I, I can count the number of cranky phone calls and letters that I've gotten in the last six months about this on one hand. And that's just a remarkable, remarkable thing. I just think that is, I'm going to tell you, you know how good it is? This is how good it is. Something happened to me this week that has never happened to me before, which is somebody came in and said, this is all going, this Eucharistia Eucharistia thing is going so good right now, can I have the Eucharist right now? Gaining and I are like, whoa. Nobody ever asks for the Eucharist when they're happy. If you're dying, certainly we can help you, or you, know, you can't come to church, we'd be glad to give it to you. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, 14 years of being a pastor, nobody ever came to me and said, can I just have the Eucharist because I'm really happy? And you kind of go, we don't even know what planet we're on anymore when that happens. I mean, we don't even know what to do with that. So I, I, guess, I, I, I guess I'm doing two things here. I'm trying to encourage you in this, rejoice in this. It's fascinating to watch. People are growing up. People who weren't talking, maybe are talking a little more. And people who weren't given, maybe giving a little more. And people who weren't always good at working together, you can kind of see them you know, helping out a little more and sort of ratcheting themselves back a little bit so they can fit in a little more. And um, people just happy about the way things are going. And that's just weird given what, you know, I tell you, the best church meeting I've ever been in was last Thursday when you know, 67 people show up or families show up to give $2 million. People are sitting around laughing because $100,000 just dropped out of their pocket. I don't even know what planet I'm on when that happens. I, mean, I can't even tell you, I can't even tell you what that, that was the weirdest experience I've ever had in the church. Looking around at a bunch of people who just gave $2 million acting like they didn't do anything at all. It's like they didn't even notice. And I mean that in the most positive of all senses. It means that they've thought about it and prayed hard and worked at it and made the decision and have reconciled themselves with the decision and are going to do it, and there's nothing left but the fun. That is just too weird. I mean, that is just strange. You, you people live in another planet, which is good. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. So I just, you know, I want to say, all at once I want to say thanks and I can't understand you, and it seems to be working, and you got to be kidding me, and there's still more to do, and who would ever thunk it, you know? Uh, it's just so strange. And I probably the last thing to say, and probably the reason to go through the rest of this, is, is to keep, kind of keep going. It never ends. The amount of good we can do never ends. And there's an awful lot of you who have been able to learn to hear that in the gospel. So many of you are able to hear when somebody says to you, hey, what, you want to try this, or can you help with that, or can you give to this, or ooh, we need something over there. There's much less grousing about that. There's much less complaining about that, and much more interest in trying to get it done, and that's how it should be. There seems to be a much greater understanding of the gifts that we've been given, but also suddenly that understanding has prompted people to action, and the action has been comfortable, normal, restful, feels right. That's just so strange. But you, can't, you can't duplicate this. The, you know, we had our accreditation for the, <laughs> they had our accreditation for the school, and they led with something like saying, you know, I, and I, you know, you can correct me if I was, if you were in the room and I wasn't there, but they said something like, we've never seen a school like this, right? That's how they led. 
And the two big things they said that we should do is, um, this is the Bruzek Remembrance, I haven't read the thing, but the two big things I remember are post the mission statement around more. Okay, we got a copy machine. And <laughs> the other big thing we're supposed to do is liturgical, they said, they said we should have more Christian artwork to which gating it. I went ding, 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 ding. Icons <laughs> and the Stations of the Cross, statues of the Virgin Mary and the little baby Jesus in every room. We're thinking to ourselves, who's more on board with the school than we are? You know, we got, you know, and you, you sort of think to yourself, uh, when, when you, can, you can have your, somebody run through your school for two days and the two things they say is, um, could you have more pictures of Jesus and have more copies of your mission statement up? You're kind of going, wow. Thanks to the principal and the school board and the teachers for figuring that out. But you see what a different kind of life that is? And all I want you to do is just sort of cherish that, be thankful for that. We're in a very weird, good space right now. It's very strange and very good right now. At just the right moment, you know, just the right moment toward whatever happens next Sunday, we're just where we want to be at just the right moment. So thanks for that and be encouraging to people. And it doesn't happen by accident. So it is weird, and uh, you, can't under, you can't actually explain it other than something extraordinary happening with all of you. Here's the other thing. You need to nurture it, because it'll go away if you don't. You know this about your marriage. You know this about your kids. You know this about friendships. You know this about families. You know this about everything you've ever been involved in. When things go well, they keep going well because you nurture it, because you care for them, because you put time in, because you think about it, because you love it, because you reduce yourself, because you serve others. That's true in every aspect of life. It's doubly true for the church. So many people have worked so hard, and then things work. The thing is, you can, you can ease back a little bit, but you still have to work hard at nourishing what you've got. You've got to be careful. The world, remember, winds down to sinfulness and entropy. The world goes down to chaos. The opposite of Eden is tohu wabohu, you know, formless and voidless. And so I just, I, that's the other side of this. We should rejoice in this like crazy, and then we also have to remember where we live, and that should doubly make us cherish what we've got. So just kind of just think it through. Take care of yourselves this next week and, and other people. I don't know, do you have questions about anything? Just about anything going on? It's just, it's just there's just something just remarkably weird going on, and... Uh, <laughs> I don't quite know what to do with it. Yes, please. Humbling that God has done what? It is humbling. It is. Um, we could have never done it ourselves. She said it's humbling that God has worked out so many good things and you know for our advantage in this place. It is actually very humbling. It doesn't happen that much. I mean, I tell you. I talk to people every day that have fights in their churches. Every day. Most churches are troubled and sinking. In most churches, it's tough. But I, there's just something, there's something about you all that uh, somehow you've learned to, or at least begun to learn to translate, you know, what you know in your heart and what you know in your head, you know, out through your hands and your mouths. And that's quite an quite a amazing thing. Now the key then is to just, you just ride that as far as you can ride it within the gifts that the Lord has given us. You know, we don't, we don't try to do anything, you know, we don't try to, we try to stretch just to the limit, but not overstretch. We try to go as far as we can, but frankly, in this place, with so much talent, so much gift, man, the, ch the chances, and partly Catherine is aware of this, because 
what she's been doing, and this has been a great fun task for you all to look at here in a little while, what she's been doing, she's on the governing board for outreach, and one of the uh, fascinating things she's been doing is adding up all the things that you all do to outreach that you don't tell anybody about. And that's gonna be a fantastic list when it all gets done. I mean, we got people doing things we don't even know that they're doing them. Um, you know, it's, it's weird. It's just crazy how, how many people are doing good things. Um, if you have one of these, uh, does anybody need one? This is, you've got this last week, but anybody need one? I'll send you one. I will, will you? Eric, okay, good. Johnny, will you help me? Yeah. Thanks. Just kind of go to the seventh point. I just, this, is, I'm, this is at Hope, which is a very nice place to be, or maybe six. You know, hope is not a natural reaction to the world around us. You know, Christ... This is the same, yeah, it's the same one you had last week and the week before. It just, um, it got going and couldn't stop. You know, at five, we sort of said Christ moves us to do things we can't normally do or we wouldn't normally do. There's, there's no way, I mean, there's no way a bunch of people sit around and, and, and let $2 million fall out of their pockets with a big smile on their face without something happening strange to them. So that point five is Christ moves us to do things we wouldn't ordinarily do. You, you, you people nor I would never ordinarily do this. You tell your friends about this, they think you're absolutely crazy. Okay? So the, the Christian life is otherworldly. What does that mean? You know, what's it mean otherworldly? You know what? All I've said and now the next thing, which is hope. Okay? Hope is not a natural reaction to the world around us. Most people that you bump into are hopeless. And even when they're smiling, they're hopeless. The Jehovah's Witnesses were at our door yesterday. It must be calculated. I wonder if they, and it would be a clever marketing campaign if they do, I wonder if they calculate their neighborhood, um, I wonder if they calculate their neighborhood sort of adventures to time after tragedies. Because the lead thing is, this is a tragic world. We've had a pretty tough week, you know, in the last couple of weeks in, in the world, uh, in America. This is, this is a tragic world and Here's something. I wonder if they do that. You know, what are they trying to do? They're offering a hope. Now, it's unfortunately a false hope, the way they've interpreted it. But, you know, hope is not a natural thing. Sorrow is, 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 the, is, the, is the natural thing. But we live eschatologically. If you've been listening to the epistle readings from Revelation these past couple weeks, what, why, do we, why do we read those? We read those because you know what the end game is. And you're not to look down, you know, in sorrow or around at the sinfulness of each other. You look out at the end game. What's happening today with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven? Christ is victorious. Life is good. The dead are raised. Your loved ones are safe and warm and dry and happier than they ever were when, you, when they were with you. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And you live toward that. You live from that. You know that. You live from it, and you live toward it. This is the next thing that's going to be for you. This is a great, great, great thing. So, number seven, hope isn't simply an idea. You know, it's just not this idea. Buck up. Be hopeful. It's not just this, 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 this con it's not a concept or a notion. Sometimes you can even touch it, and this, I think, is what I'm so jacked up about around here right now. You can actually you know, touch $2 million. You can actually touch it. It's all at home in my closet. In a <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not. I'm just kidding you. No, it's not. I just... No, you know, sometimes... To <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, you're free to come search my closet anytime you wish. No, I, you know, you can actually... It's, anybody can say, you know, I hope you get better. I hope this. I hope that. 
But you know, sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's tangible in acts of mercy, in the way people talk to you, the way they love you, the way they give, the way they support, the way they help. You know, sometimes it's actually tangible. It's, of course, tangible first on the altar. Um, we had our Bible study with Wheaton College kids on um, Wednesday, which is really great because we've got a, a professor who's been coming along and bringing a couple of graduate students, and the Hulans have been our host. And um, there are, you know, a student here, a student there, and pretty soon you can get a little work done. But, you know, we sort of played Trump because it was, it was the, one of the real problems we have is that um, students come here, but this whole thing about closed communion just befuddles them. Well, befuddles them because they've never, one, kind of really thought maybe as deeply or fully or maybe been exposed to what we think about the Holy Supper, and then they can't understand why we wouldn't give it to them. We don't give it to them because we don't want to hurt them and we want them to be honest. And you, when you sort of tell them that's the reason you're, that's the reason you're doing things, um, it, goes, it goes down a little bit easier at least. But what we say, I mean, we adore what's on the altar. Christ is on the altar. The same Christ that was on the cross is on the altar. And if that's true, then there's this great hope for you. You, know, you have a touchable life. It's fascinating that even after he ascends, Jesus continues to touch you bodily, this wordle sacramental life. He touches you, you know, he makes your eardrums vibrate. It's a touch. You, know, you can feel sound. It, it, it's a touch, you know. Or, or the gospel book. Um, occasionally somebody will complain a little bit about the gospel book um, being, you know, sort of, what's going on there? And, and the answer is, um, that's the viva vox. That's the living voice of Jesus. Jesus is in the book. I mean, he's in there by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's in the book. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he's in the water. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he is on the altar, right? And so there's a physical presence in us, you know, the physical presence in us, and now you can, you can bounce it all the way down. He puts the Bible, he puts the gospel book in your ear, he puts the supper in your mouth, he puts the baptism on the skin, and now you're all sitting together here, and the person to your right, to your left, in front and behind, the people who are in the body of Christ, that's a tangible expression of Christ. You know, I know that I'm um, sinful and a disappointment to you in so many ways, and you to me in so many ways, you know? Um, and I, you know, we know that about each other, and yet the other side of the coin is forgiven to do the next good, best thing, and that the people that you are, you, you know, you don't have any choice about this. The people sitting next to you, front and back, you know, right and left, those people are Christ's body. You're going to spend an eternity with them. You might as well get used to them right now, okay? And you might as well learn to love them, you know, in the way that the Lord gives you to love them. And, you know, part of, uh, part of doing that is learning how to, you know, be patient with each other and, you know, engage the things that need to be really engaged and to kind of let the rest go and sort of move through it with the hope that what we get here every week changes us. Um, you're not the people you were 10 years ago. You're different people. You're not the people you were five years ago or three years ago. You're absolutely positively different people. You're different, you know. So on the one hand, we need to rejoice in that goodness, rejoice in that difference. On the other hand, we need to continue to cultivate the difference. It's an intentional difference. There's a reason the supper is on the altar every week. It makes a palpable difference in people. It makes you hopeful. It makes you healed. It makes you better. It makes you interested. It turns you out. You can't be the same person you were before the body of Christ touched you.
So um, to flip this over, um, one reason then, you remember, uh, one, one reason you come to church is for me, and one reason I come to church is for you. You know, you actually hurt me. And I actually hurt you when I don't come to church. That's the scriptures. Don't forsake the assembly as some are in the habit of doing. Some people have the habit of ignoring the third commandment. You know, Hebrews ends up, as many of the epistles do, they end up with all sorts of things that tell you how the church should work, right? You actually hurt other people when you don't come. On days when you don't feel like coming, come for me. Come for the body. Come for those people who are right and left, okay? And then learn to see Christ in each other, the great gift of that Nowen book um, that we did earlier, Women's Bible Study, we did a few parts of that. One of the most fascinating parts of this, I mean, you would all say, yeah, yeah, I belong to the body, yeah, yeah, I'm saved, yeah, yeah, I understand. And then you come to the bit in now and that almost nobody knows and almost nobody thinks, which is this, that the worst of people, the people who've hurt you most deeply, the poorest people, the most horrible people, the most miserable people, Christ is in them too. And not just so that you can be kind to them, but so that you can learn from them and grow from them. You know, that, that, that doesn't happen to us intellectually. You know, it's a gift, it's a grace, it's a kindness. It's otherworldly to be gathered into that sort of a space. And part of the visible experience, and I guess, I guess partly what I'm encouraging you is, is, you know, it's more fun to come to church in a full church than, than an empty church. You know, it was Erica's thing this morning, which is brilliant. You know, which kind of boils down to something like, you know, when I come and sing and pray and love my friends when they're in distress. There's nothing more visible body than a funeral. You know, the family comes and they're just busted apart. And then all their friends show up and love them, care for them, press them in, do the things they can't do, pray for them, sing for them, love for them weep for them, laugh for them. That's the body of Christ. And this is the thing, that's within our grasp. And you know what, the last few weeks, the last few months have been completely clear about that. This is within our grasp. You know, forget about the money for a second, just forget about the money. Forget that it's in my closet, forget about that. Okay? Forget about the money. The greater gift to the congregation, the greater gift has been in people's ability to work together, be kind. I mean, still, the most amazing thing about the Real Estate Committee, of all the things that they, that the, of all the good they've done, the best thing about the Real Estate Committee is what they haven't done, which is that they never took a vote in all those years. That is a Christian maturity beyond what people can even describe or think about. Okay, that just is, that is just a maturity that you can't find everywhere. So you do have the chance to enact it, to enflesh it. And part of the encouragement, hear this in the way of the gospel is, hey, there's more to do. There's somebody in this room right now that you don't care for very much, you know? What would it take for you to love those persons? What would that take? You know, I sort of told you about, you know, see, trying to, this experience of seeing you through the host on Palm Sunday. There's, there's, there's this moment when you can't see, and then you can see. But what would it be like if you saw me through the host and I saw you through the host? What would that be like? You can have that if you want it. It's yours. And the most remarkable thing is that so many people have begun to embody that here. You know, it can be difficult. It can be difficult. Um, 
And I'll just, I'll give you this to ponder. This is, this is, this is number eight, and you're gonna have to think about this a little bit, because again, this is one of those things that you can intellectually understand, but to put it into practice is horribly difficult. Hope lives and dies with honesty. Okay? Now, as my lovely wife has reminded me, you know, there's being honest and then being brutally honest, <laughs> right? I mean, you, intellectually, you can understand this, that to trust people, we need to be honest. To live together, we need to be honest. But there's sometimes, too, um, that we really need to decide what we want to be honest about. See, is we, we sort of go to one extreme or the other. We either yap about everything, so every little tiny pinprick of a discomfort becomes a great big deal. On the other side, we don't talk about anything. We just stuff it all down and, you know, we sort of grind through life and, you know, neither of those are right. You know, the art of living together is deciding what you all want to talk about. There are some things that we need to talk about. But there are many things that we don't need to talk about and there are many things we can just sort of let go. You know? There are some things that definitely need to be talked about. You know, but if my wife held me up for all the things that I do wrong, I would be miserable all the time, right? As you would. But occasionally, a chip and a nudge and a move and a couldn't that be better? You know, that's the sort of thing that establishes community, body, hope, possibility, going forward. And you know what, there's just so much of it going on right now. My only encouragement is, you know, keep going and, and do better. And maybe more and more we can draw people in who haven't quite figured it out, you know, we can draw them in too. You know, it's, this is why you can always say it's not about the money. Sure, would we love it if people pledged another two or three million dollars? We would love it, that would be fantastic. And certainly that's important at this point. But as much as being drawn into that sort of generosity, equally important is the ability to draw people into a communal life where people are honest and speak well of each other and are patient with each other. And if they really have a beef, they go in the way of Matthew 18 and they talk to each other and they sort it out and, and life is good and, and things work together. So, you know, we're right there. And I have to say the last week has been pretty, pretty blasted remarkable. Now another week coming up and then whatever happens, um, all of this is about how we go forward. I know you can do it intellectually. I know you can read the text. I'm not talking about what's intellectual right now. I'm talking about the practice of it. And in the practicing of it, then the knowing. In the practicing, then the learning. And there is no other way to do this. You cannot, cannot, cannot be community as an intellectual exercise. You can only be community by practicing it, by doing it, by rejoicing in it, by being thankful for it. That's the only way, ultimately, you can do it. It's the difference between talking about being a family and being a family. It's the difference between talking about being a friend and being a friend. It's the difference between talking about being a community or being the body of Christ and being a community or being the body of Christ. And that's where you all are. I mean, that's where we are together. So rejoice in that this week and um, nurture it. We should go to the altar. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Okay, see you next week. Thank you.